So how many of you ever thought that you would come to church and see a pink flamingo in the baptistry? Anybody ever think that that would happen? Okay, so there it is. There it is. A lot of other stuff up here too that I'm going to make mention of as we get started today. But the theme today in our message time is that the church is made up of people. It's not an address, it's not a building, it's not a campus somewhere, but it's made up of individual people who have lives and who have connections in those lives outside of the address here that is the meeting place for Jenison Bible Church. We all have lives, we all have connections. We probably all live somewhere too, don't we? We have a home, we have a condo, we have an apartment, we have whatever God has given us to live in and around us typically are people. Some of you may live a little more remotely and you don't have neighbors like you might have in a subdivision. But in life, typically, there are people all around us, aren't there? There are people all around us. And the church is to mobilize each individual part of the church, each individual person who makes up the church, if we're going to make disciples as God intended us to make them and advance the gospel among all the ethnicities of the world, we have to be doing that in our individual lives. The problem is that in a lot of gatherings and a lot of churches, outreach is very centralized, right? And I want to talk to you about that today. I want to talk to you about decentralizing outreach and mobilizing as the church. And all of these things that are up here today are simply just to help us to think about things that we have at home. How many of you have something like what's up here today? Anybody have anything like what's up here today? You have this stuff, right? I mean, this is all pretty common. Now, maybe not the, the pink floatable, but... Maybe you do, who knows, but we have this stuff and the idea is that we would take the stuff that we have and instead of just enjoying it for ourselves, which is typically what we might be tempted to do, that we would take the simple stuff and use it to engage other people around us who need to know Jesus or who maybe need to be encouraged in their faith. Maybe they already know Jesus, but maybe they're not assimilating into a local body and they need that. So we're going to use what we have to connect to them, to encourage them and to help them, whether it's encouraging them in their faith or encouraging them to take the first step in their faith journey by believing in Jesus for salvation. I think everything up here and so many other things that obviously we couldn't put up here, right, can help you mobilize. And so I want you to think about what you have, where you live, and how you can mobilize with the gospel. And I just want to share some very practical things this morning about that topic and that if we're going to be the church as God has called us to be, that this is what we need to be doing. This is what we need to be doing. So what is the church? It's a faith community that individually, each individual, engages others, especially unbelievers. There is a book that I have been reading, and I want to quote from, from that book this morning. 
Christian community, it's called reckless faith, by the way. Christian community and being a part of a local church are essential for a healthy life of faith. God delights when we are active in the body of Christ, his family. But too many Christians get so invested in relationships with their believing friends that they forget to develop and nurture friendships with those who have not come to experience and embrace the grace of Jesus. It is very easy to circle the spiritual wagons and take a defensive attitude toward the world. Some Christians see non-believers as the enemy. When this attitude prevails, we tend to break off our relationships with people who are not Christians. If we do interact with non-believers, we tend to keep those relationships shallow and safe. This way of thinking is diametrically opposed to the example of Jesus. It is contrary to the very heartbeat of God. Think about it. God left the glory of heaven to come and live among people who hated him and who would one day kill him. While we were sinful and rebellious, Jesus entered our world to give his life for us. God loved the people of the world so much that he offered his beloved son as the sacrifice for our sins. The story of Christmas is the perfect example of God's commitment to enter relationship with the people who needed him. When Jesus walked on this earth, he did not cloister himself in a religious community and avoid the irreligious people of his day. On the contrary, Jesus loved to hang out with sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, lepers, and outcasts. These people who were ostracized from the religious community were drawn to Jesus. In the Gospels, we learn that Jesus was so comfortable with the irreligious and broken of his day that some of the religious elite were offended and bothered. When was the last time that you were accused of being a friend of sinners? Jesus had this label slapped on him, and he wore it with delight. So should we. As followers of Jesus, we are to live as he lived, love as he loved, and go where he went. Ultimately, we should reflect the teachings and example of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus who spends little or no time with people who are spiritually disconnected from God, it may be time to be reckless, make some new friends, and spend consistent time with them. If you are at the church building during all of your free time, you should evaluate your priorities. If you say, I really don't have any close friends who are non-believers, God has a message for you. He wants to bring love, grace, and the good news of his son to our world. And you are called to be a part of this mission. You are God's light on this dark planet. You are the salt that God wants to use to cause people to thirst for the living water that only Jesus can provide. God wants to work in and through you to share his love naturally with others through organic outreach, not artificial or created outreach, but organic outreach that springs out of deep, substantive relationships. That's what I would have put in there if I would have written this book. This can only happen when you are in close proximity to people who need Jesus. 
It happens as you establish authentic and loving relationships with people who are outside of your faith community. I want to talk to you about how this can happen this morning. I've I've read this uh, long excerpt from this book, but I want to talk now about how, and I want to give you three things that I think all of us need to consider if we are going to embark on using the stuff that we have, whether it's cornhole, going to the beach, we have a pool or a jacuzzi, we have a fire pit, we invite people over, maybe you're musical and you're going to play uh, a guitar and sing with them, whatever you've got, use it. How should we do that and what should we remember as we do that? Well, the first thing that we need to remember, and and you're not going to learn anything new today. These are going to be reminders, but I think they're healthy reminders. We must be real and authentic as we do this and not hypocritical. You see, the world is going to know if we're inconsistent. They're going to see inconsistencies. They're going to see hypocrisy. That is a huge reason why so many of them stay away from what we're doing today because they don't want to come be with a bunch of hypocrites. Now, while we're never going to remove all hypocrisy from the church because we cannot be perfect, we need to make sure that if we're going to go out and build relationships with people through the things that we have and engaging them and and spending time with them, using our home as a hub, if you will, to reach out, We need to make sure that we are being consistent with the gospel that we claim to believe, that it truly has made a difference in our own lives, and that we are living out that difference in front of the people who are around us. Otherwise, all of our efforts will just end up being good social activity, because the gospel will not be effectively communicated by us if our lives don't match what we claim to believe. So along these lines, Philippians chapter 1, what does Paul say to the church at Philippi there beginning in verse 27? Just one thing, live your life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, he's saying to them, practice what you preach, live out what you believe. Then whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your deliverance, and this is from God. For it has been given to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. One thing, Paul says, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. How many of us sinned this last week? Anybody sin, right? Yeah, that's not really living the gospel that we believe, right? No. And we're going to do that. We're going to fail. We're going to sin. And that's why we have a verse like this in 1 John. And this is where we need to live. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just or righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You will sin. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Until we're completely glorified and perfect in God's presence, we are going to fail. And we're going to fail big sometimes. We're going to fail in front of people that we're going to have to restore a relationship with that needs to start with us restoring our relationship with God and being honest about our sin 
and, and naming it as God names it and dealing with it as God wants us to deal with it and maintaining that relationship with him and also with other people. You know, it's one thing to sin and for someone to see that, especially for an unbeliever to see that. It's another thing to do that and then to go to that person and talk to them about what they witnessed from you and apologize to them and make sure they understand that you know that you blew it and that you're not perfect and that you're sorry for what you have done and ask them to forgive you for that and be restored. Think of how powerful that would be for your testimony. Make sure you're dealing with sin. And as we're doing this, we need to make sure that as the church, that we are relating well to one another, like Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 4. Because if the world sees something different going on among us, frankly, they will, not, they will want nothing to do with us. One of the things that I think that was such a draw to the first century early primitive church, as we call it, is that they had this stuff down. Now, they weren't perfect. But if you were on the outside looking in at that early church and you were seeing how they were relating according to the book of Acts, you would have to be absolutely crazy not to want to be a part of that. I mean, they had some serious things going on that were supportive, that were showing love, that were meeting each other's needs. Now, they, they weren't perfect, but boy, they had a lot of stuff right and they were sincerely living out their faith. Ephesians 4 tells us how we can do that relationally, and it's so critical to our testimony. If we're going to go out in our community and build relationships with people for the purpose of uh, advancing the gospel and having gospel conversations, they need to know that we're living our lives in this way with other believers as well. What does Paul say? Since you put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. The thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. All bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. I think the whole passage can probably be summed up with verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Just totally remove everything from your relationships with other believers that isn't kind and compassionate. And by the way, when someone else isn't kind and compassionate to you, forgive them and do it accordingly as God also forgave you in Christ. If we would live out verse 32, I think we could get all the rest of the things that Paul talks about in detail in verses 25 through 32. How are our relationships with God? with other believers, with others in the community? Are we living a life that is worthy of the gospel? Will people listen to us when we share our faith because our life shows that we are people of faith? A question for us to wrestle with and consider 
as we talk about connecting with other people on a very organic level, right in our own communities, using these good things that God has given us as a way of building relationships. So, secondly, and we'll spend most of our time here this morning, I think, this means then, if we're going to do it organically, we must decentralize outreach and we must mobilize. Now, I want to say some very pointed things here to get us thinking this morning. But if when we talk about outreach, our first thought is, I need to invite someone to a church gathering, we might want to think about changing that. We might want to think about changing. Now, I'm not saying don't invite people to church. That's not what I'm saying. But the most effective way for you to do outreach and to have gospel conversations with people organically is for you to build relationships with them. So what I want you to think about before you ever invite someone to church, okay, invite them to a campfire at your home. That's, that's what the fire pit is here for today. And, and sit down with them and talk with them and, and get to know them and build a relationship with them so that that facilitates conversations where you can talk to them about Jesus and share with them the gospel. Now, there's nothing wrong with bringing them to church, but there are a lot of people out there that are not going to do churchy things. They're just not going to do that. But if you engage them and sit down and talk to them, play a game with them, have them over to enjoy your pool with you, take them to the beach and have a conversation with them, and you build a relationship, and that provides an opportunity for you to share the gospel with them, and they come to know Jesus as a result, they're going to want to assimilate with a local body. Then you're going to be able to bring them here and have them assimilate with the body. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying don't invite people to our gatherings. It certainly is a good idea. But I think when we talk about outreach, we need to really think about outreach, going into our communities, into our neighborhoods, relating well to people organically, doing life with them so they can see Jesus in us. We must do this. You know, if when we talk about outreach, our thoughts go immediately to hosting more big events at this address I think we need to reconsider that. Now, I'm not against doing things as a church family that allow us the opportunity to advance the gospel, okay? But we need to consider how effective that is in building relationships with people that last and that really have the potential of making a change in them as we advance the gospel. I would rather have 100 families engaging their neighbors in small, intimate settings, getting to know them and sharing the gospel consistently than just doing one-and-done things where you may never even see those people again. Now, are the one-and-done things evil or wrong? No, we do them. We do them here because we, want, we hope that that is going to help us advance the gospel. I'm just saying to you that probably the most effective way for us to do that is organically using our home as a hub, connecting with our neighbors, and really getting to know them and sharing Jesus with them consistently. What God did in my heart and life, and and I 
I like my quiet time and my privacy probably as much as anyone in here today. So I don't say this to you uh, being your judge or even your example, but just as a testimony to what God did. And again, you're probably going to hear about the fire pit a whole lot more than you want to today, but this is what God is using, this ugly piece of whatever it is, cast iron, uh, to, to work in the lives of other people in a remarkable way. For me, I had to get out of my backyard. How many of you would like to retreat to your backyard? Anybody like that? I love it, right? I go to my backyard. I have a fire pit back there. I have a nice deck back there. My grill is back there. I have a table and chairs. I can sit. I can go out in the yard under my shade tree, my maple tree, and enjoy my backyard. My wife even hangs beautiful flower baskets from the privacy fence. I mean, privacy fence. Nobody even knows I'm back there. Beautiful thing. <laughs> Can I advance the gospel hiding in my backyard from my neighbors? Can I do that? Now, I can invite them into my backyard if I wanted to, right? <laughs> if I was going to let go of my backyard and share it with somebody, that would be okay. But let me tell you what I found. I, I know this is going to sound so practical, and I don't want to insult your intelligence today. I just want to tell you what God did. So I decided, uh, I think I got permission from one of the deacons. At least I hope I remember to do that. But I took one of the church's fire pits home. I have this exact fire pit at my house. I did it last year for Halloween because we decided to turn Halloween into an outreach at our home. So I got one of those fire pits. We put a fire in it right in the driveway. We had all kinds of lawn chairs set up. I got like the real life-size candy, not this cheap stuff, the little stuff. I mean, we got the big stuff. And I got somebody to donate some pumpkins. I gave every kid a pumpkin. We gave them real candy. We had hot chocolate. We had a fire going. And I just wanted to see what would happen. Just wanted to see what would happen. Well, what happened? Parents were lingering in my driveway, enjoying the fire, drinking hot chocolate. Kids were coming up, grabbing the candy, and they were looking, and I had my truck bed open, all the pumpkins in there. They were trying to pick out their pumpkin. And what did that do? It slowed everybody down and gave us an opportunity to actually connect with people. Instead of opening the door, throwing candy in a bag, slamming the door, and going back to the football game or whatever else I want to watch, right? So, and this isn't me at all. I mean, I grew up in a setting where you weren't even home Halloween night because Halloween was of the devil, and you weren't going to have anything to do with it, okay? Now, I'm not suggesting that you need to be haphazard and embrace Halloween, but it's an opportunity where people will come to you if you'll take it and use it to advance the gospel. So, this coming Halloween, if anyone is interested in doing that, we're actually going to have a time where we're going to meet we have some of the uh, resources for you. If you don't have a fire pit, you can, you can use the ones that the church has like I did. I still have it at the house because we're using it for other things now. And we're just taking advantage of the opportunity to connect with people. Now, maybe you hear that and you go, I could never do that. Okay, then find something that you can do. Maybe your thing is cornhole. I don't know. Maybe a spike ball. I don't know. Maybe you have a pool. I don't know. But use what you have, not just for yourself to enjoy it. See, Every time I had a fire in my backyard, it was primarily for me and maybe some close friends or friends of my kids. I didn't care if my neighbors were there or not. Now, I leave one of these in my driveway off to the side. And there are a lot of times we'll build a fire and I'll just sit there. And before too long, a couple neighbors will show up. 
Sometimes I invite them, sometimes I don't. And it's like a magnet. And they come to it, and we sit there, and we talk. One of my friends is here this morning. And uh, I think, what, Brent, two or three nights this week, we sat around this thing one night to almost midnight talking as two believers, just encouraging one another. So utilize the stuff that you have. And I know this is so simple, but I think we need to do more of this. We need to slow down to get our neighbors to slow down so that we can have effective conversations with them. You see, to be effective in outreach, the church does not need to do more churchy things. It needs to mobilize and be the church to the people that live in the vicinity. And we must all use what I'll call our web of relationships to personally love lost ones and engage them with the gospel. I believe our home should become the hub of outreach as we build deep relationships with those around us. Our neighbors should be our mission field. How can we do this? Well, it's truly found, I think, in our homes. Jesus and his ministry, I'm not going to go through all of these, I list them for you, but Jesus visited 12 homes in his ministry. He went to where the people were. Now, there were times when he was with large crowds, absolutely, but he was with people. He went to tax collectors' homes. He went to homes of people who were sinners, and he got criticized. In fact, he even went to a wedding and turned water into wine that was being hosted at someone's home. He used those hubs where people were to minister, to tell people about himself, to call people into discipleship to himself. He invested in personal relationships with others to glorify his Father. And I list the homes for you in the scriptures. We're not going to go through those. All God's people said? Okay, I get the hint. So we're not going to, but you do that. You read through all these passages in the Gospels of where Jesus engaged people in home settings. It was powerful as he was intimate with people and related to them where they were. Finally, today, let me just uh, go through these, but let me get to the third point. And point number three is this as we close. The third thing is, is that we must then, if we're going to do this, we need to get our lives in order. We need to be walking with the Lord. We need to be decentralizing and mobilizing into the community. And as we do that, we must be prepared to share our own faith story while inviting others to Jesus. Think about what you're going to say. Arm yourself with all the resources that you need. If you, do the, if you do the Halloween campfire thing, and that's something that God leads you to do this Halloween, we're going to help you with that. But make sure that you're ready, and we're going to help you with that. We'll have some resources available, and you'll be able to use the, the Halloween that we did it last year. We had some flyers printed up that had our student and children's ministries things on them. So everybody got one of those in their bag with their candy. And we invited them to participate in those things while we were trying to build relationships with their parents. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this in verses 20 and 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. Don't miss that. God is appealing through us. And we plead on Christ's behalf. We plead with people. We, we urge people, be reconciled to God. Believe in Jesus. Trust in his finished cross work for salvation from your sins. Go from being God's enemy to God's friend and knowing Jesus as your Savior and joint heir. 
He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What is your faith story? How did you come to Jesus? How did you come to Jesus? How can you concisely prepare to share that well? Think about it. Think about it. And then go out, and maybe it's something that's not even up here on the platform, but go out and find something that you already have that will allow you to connect with your neighbors. And for me, stop hiding out in your backyard and go to your front yard, right, and connect with people. That's what I had to do. I don't know what your obstacle is. I don't know what it is. But maybe it's that same thing. Maybe it's something else. Deal with it. Move out decentralize and mobilize for the glory of God. And I believe God's going to do great things with that. I know he's going to use you to connect with people. You won't even have to work too hard at it in a lot of cases. I believe that. And so I commend that to you today. Let's decentralize and let's mobilize as the church. I'm going to pray at this time. And and as I pray, I just want to set something up here. When we have communion, one of the great things that we take opportunity to do is uh, to receive an offering that will be used specifically to help meet the needs of people. And so in a, in a few minutes uh, after or actually during uh, our viewing of a recap video from Vacation Bible School, our men are going to pass the plates after my prayer. And if you want to give to the Benevolent Fund, everything that's received at this time will go to the Benevolent Fund, and it will be used, we promise you, with with great discretion and good stewardship. It'll be used to meet the real needs of people. People are hurting, and there are great needs, and we just ask you to give as the Spirit leads in this offering and know full well how it's going to be used. But let's pray together, ask God's blessing on this offering, and then as you watch this recap video, we will receive the benevolent offering. Father, thank you for Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. We have celebrated that today in many ways. Help us to use the good gifts that you've given to us to advance the mystery of Christ through the message of the gospel. Help us to think about how we can build relationships with people for the sake of talking to them about Jesus. And thank you for Vacation Bible School, one of those opportunities where we could tell our children for an extended period of time about Jesus. And we thank you for all that was accomplished through Vacation Bible School and every volunteer. Help us to enjoy seeing this recap video and glorify you as a result. And Father, as we give, I pray that you would help us to be a strong presence in our community and in this faith community in meeting the needs of other people. May needy people feel your love through us because we give today for your glory in the strong and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.